Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our Gospel today is from the 10th chapter of Luke's Gospel, one of the great sections in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, for the next three weeks, we'll be reading from it. What we have here is that story of the sending of the 72. So Jesus gathered to himself 12 to be his most intimate disciples. But now we hear he sends another 72 out to do his work. What we have here, I think, is a portrait of the church. It's a portrait of what the church should look like. And so up and down the centuries, whenever Christians are engaged in the work of the Lord, to some degree they ought to reflect the dynamics of this passage. So what I want to do today is to look just briefly at several sections of it and to draw conclusions for our own work as a church. Listen first how it opens. The Lord appointed a further 72 and sent them in pairs before him to every town and place he intended to visit. What's the first thing we learn about the church? That we are a missionary church. That's a fancy way of saying we are sent. The Christian gospel is not given to us for our private edification. It's not something we're meant to cling to for our own spiritual private pleasure. The Christian gospel is just like seed. We receive it and we are meant to spread it around. Jesus came to gather the tribes. He's going to do it through us. And so our task is a missionary task. Listen, some people like myself, formally ordained by the church to do this, fine. But every baptized person, every member of the church, is in a similar way sent. you got a mission. It's to carry the good news of Jesus Christ. It's to bring people into the fold. Have you brought somebody to the church? Have you brought someone to Jesus Christ? If not, you're not fulfilling this mission. You're not sent by the Lord. Notice, too, he sends them two by two. This seems like a very small, insignificant detail. I don't think it is. From the beginning... The work of the church has been done in a communitarian way. We don't do this as free agents. We don't do this purely on our own, but we do it together. You know, a movie I really admire, I think I've spoken to you of it before, is Robert Duvall's movie, The Apostle. Remember, he plays this very strong evangelical Protestant minister, good man in many ways, but in a burst of anger he commits this terrible crime. And then he sets off 
on his own. In fact, even rebaptizing himself, declaring himself the apostle, and then off he goes on his own. Well, even there, his work bears some fruit. But see, in light of this, we know there's just something off. Christians don't go off on their own to do the work of the Lord. They always do it at least two by two, at least in a community. Because the ministers need people to pray for them, people to support them emotionally, financially, psychologically. Ministers need people that will challenge them. That's why from the very beginning, someone like St. Francis has an experience of God, he's called by Christ, and then in very short order, gathers people around him. St. Dominic, from the beginning, has a community around him to do his work. Think of Mother Teresa, who sets out with her own sense of mission, but very shortly gathers around her lots of followers and disciples. We do this work two by two. That means we do it in community if we're going to do it well. Listen now, what else we hear? The Lord says, The harvest is rich, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the harvest master to send workers to his harvest. Christians, prayer is not incidental to our work of ministry. I don't care what your work is. It could be the official work of the church. You could be a priest. You could be a lector. You could be someone who prays for others. Whatever your work is in the church. Prayer is not incidental to it, not decorative to it, not something we could just as well do without. You hear this constantly in the Gospel, that prayer is indispensable to our work of ministry. You know, when Billy Graham goes off to a city to preach a crusade, he sends a group months in advance to pray. Months, months in advance. Their full-time job is to pray for the success of the crusade. And he feels, I can't go into a city and expect to have a fruitful work unless it's been supported by prayer. I think we find it all over the place that it's the lifeblood of the church. If we're not prayed for, we won't succeed. If we're not praying for others, their work won't succeed. Just last week I was giving a retreat at Marmion Abbey. It's a Benedictine monastery outside of Chicago. And what's wonderful is these monks gather five times a day, every single day, day in and day out. They gather and they pray. The liturgy of the church, the office of the church, the psalms. In this great Benedictine rhythm that goes back to the 5th century, they pray and they pray. What are they praying for? Well, everything under the sun, including and especially the work of the church. They pray for preachers. They pray for priests. They pray for the ministries of the church. Without that, it won't get done. Pray, pray, pray it has got to be the lifeblood of the church or we won't succeed. What else does the Lord say to his disciples? Listen. Do not carry a walking staff or traveling bag. Wear no sandals. Greet no one along the way. Poverty. Simplicity of life are essential to the success 
of the missionary work of the church. I can say it, I think, as clearly, simply, and bluntly as that. Poverty and simplicity of life are essential to the success of the church's missionary work. Go way back to the beginning, to Jesus himself. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. The disciples who live in a kind of communitarian way. The earliest Christian proclaimers, disciples, live simply and in poverty. Go back to the beginning of the monastic life. Anthony of Egypt one day wanders in the church and he hears the proclamation of the gospel. Sell all you have and give to the poor if you wish to be perfect and then come and follow me. And so he does it. He attracts others to his way of life, this simple, poor life in the desert. St. Athanasius becomes a friend of his. He writes the life of Anthony which then is circulated around the Roman world, galvanizing the church of the 4th century. From it comes monasticism in all its forms. In fact, those monks of Marmion I just spoke of, they were made possible by Anthony and his witness of poverty. That's what makes the gospel attractive. That's how it catches fire. The same is true of Benedict, the founder of Western monasticism. He lived a life of extreme poverty and simplicity. The same is true of John Chrysostom, who walked into the affluence and sophistication of Constantinople, but lived a life of austerity and poverty. The same is true of Francis and Clare, who launched the Franciscan movement in poverty. The same is true of Dominic. The same is true of Ignatius. The same is true of Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Christians, there's something about the life of poverty and simplicity that convinces people that you are relying on the grace of God. And that unleashes power. As long as you're surrounded by comforts, you're surrounded by your own sense of security, well, you're not witnessing to the power of God. But when you abandon that and allow God's power to operate through you, then your work becomes deeply attractive. I'll say this bluntly. Preachers, priests, ministers who live fancy lives, living in big houses, driving fancy cars, will not be persuasive. They just won't. Their words might be attractive. They might say things that are good and true. But in the end, they will not have a transformative power unless they live in this simple way. I might have told you before, I was watching a show about Karol Wojtyla, John Paul II. And one of his boyhood friends said, do you want to know the key to Wojtyla's spiritual power? His poverty. From the time he was a young priest, he lived in great austerity and simplicity of life. Still does, by the way. Even in the splendor of the Vatican, he lives a very simple life. Right from the beginning, the Lord is telling us that. Don't carry walking staff, traveling bag. Live simply. What's next? Stay in one house, eating and drinking what they have, for the laborer is worth his wage. Here's the flip side. The preacher, the proclaimer, the priest, the minister ought to live in poverty. Yes, in simplicity. Right, right. But is there also an obligation on the part of the church to support the ministers? Yes. The Lord says it. The laborer is worth his wage. Do the baptized have an obligation in justice, also in love? to support those who do the work of the Lord through tithing, through contributions, through generous donations. Yes, 
One of the tragedies, I think, going on right now, those 80-some parishes that have had to close in the Archdiocese of Boston, all kinds of reasons for it, of course, most traceable back to the sex abuse scandal, but also to the fact that people now are unwilling to be as generous as they should be to the church. That is antipathetic to the desire of the Lord. We're on for each other, and we're on for supporting the work of the church as we can. What do these preachers do when they get to these towns and villages? Jesus says two things. Cure the sick there and proclaim the kingdom of God is near. There it is, the essential work of the church up and down the centuries to this day. Cure the sick. Jesus was a healer. He was known as a healer. The word Savior just means that. It means the one who brings health. Cure the sick. At all levels, yes, psychologically, spiritually, intellectually, and physically. Philip Jenkins is an author who's written some wonderful books on the burgeoning Christian churches of the southern world, Africa, Asia, Latin America. He shows over and over again, it's a healing ministry that is drawing people to the church. Good, cure the sick. Finally, proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. Christians, it's the permanent work of the church God's new order has appeared in Jesus Christ. God's way of ordering things. Our job, speak it. Proclaim it. Evangelize it. We can't keep it to ourselves, but in our behavior, in our speech, in all of our moves, to witness to the fact that God's kingdom is here. Anyone involved in the church and ministry, read this 10th chapter of Luke. Walk through this speech of Jesus and see what the church ought to look like. God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.